0: This is the Chronically Fit Show. On this podcast, we speak to people achieving incredible sporting goals despite a chronic health condition. My name's David, and I have autoimmune hepatitis. I'm joined by health and fitness experts to better understand how physical activity can help manage chronic conditions like mine. Through the conversations I'm having with our guests, I'm better understanding how to approach my own health condition. So I hope you enjoy not just this show, journey. Today's guest, Devin Yanko, is a professional ultra runner and we're talking to her about the battle that she's faced when facing a number of chronic health issues. And it's not just facing those issues, it's getting people to understand what that means when the language around chronic health is often so lacking in being able to express what it really feels like. After the interview, I am again, of course, joined by both Marla and Natalie, our resident health and fitness experts, to talk in a little bit more detail around some of the subjects that are coming up in this interview and linking them back to some of our other guests. Uh, So please do stay tuned to listen to that. And of course, if you have any questions about any of the topics or any of the illnesses that are coming up in the show, please do get in touch. So today I'm talking to Devon Yanko and Devon forgive me I'm going to read this off your website before I hand over to you but you've run more than 50 marathons including 36 at sub 3 hour sub 3 hour marathons 50 ultras since 2006 uh you're a five-time member of the USA TF uh, 100k national team 2009 gold medal winning team in Belgium um if anyone goes to your website, there's a whole load more here. You've set the fastest known time on the Grand Canyon R2R2R trail. Um, You've also done the Two Oceans Marathon, uh, Comrades Marathon, as well as placing uh, top three, I think, at the Comrades Marathon. So huge amount of achievement. And and, yeah, as I say, if someone goes and has a look at your, your, your website, they'll see that that is actually just scratching the surface. But in addition to that, you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I can never pronounce half of these conditions. This is the one thing I didn't realize when I started running a show about chronic health conditions, that there'd be loads of words that I can't pronounce. Yes, everything is this, uh, this that. Uh, so you've also got celiacs uh, and you have chronic reoccurring mononucleosis. So all of those achievements, whilst having a multitude of chronic health conditions at the same time, Kind of want to say, "Wow!" and welcome to the show. And I'll shut up and 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 let you talk for a second.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited. And actually, um, I was further diagnosed this year with um, a form of lupus, which is like the nice lupus. So I just keep, you know, adding to the list. It's like, can I add more running accomplishments before I can add, you know, more diagnoses? So I have what's known as latent lupus, which they're like, it's the good lupus. You're, it's not progressive. It's just another way to make me really tired.
0: (laughs) I've been sighing these shows by saying, look, tell us who you are and tell us about the condition that you live with. But it's kind of got to the point now where you've got, a multitude of different conditions. How do, you, how do you know how to, you know, I've, I've got one and I kind of go, right, you know, I, I should eat more cranberries and I should drink more coffee and I should not have, apparently I should avoid eggs uh, and things like that. And then other bits and pieces around that. And I kind of go, well, here's this thing and I can focus on it and I know how to manage it, or at least I'm learning how to manage it. Um, when you've got so many different conditions, how do you do that? Because Because you must get so much conflicting and contradictory advice at the same time.
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest issue has been diagnosis because starting out, I was—I've always been an athlete,
2: hmm.
1: and so especially with running, the first way that you're responded to when you're like, "Hey, I don't feel that good," they're like, "You run too much," and like that's a really cheap cop out because, like, I know that I—that wasn't the problem. So it's been really progressive over time with, you know. I don't know if you guys use this term whack-a-mole, like where you're just like trying to get this and then if something pops up over there and you're trying to get that. And so I think I kind of, the way that these diagnoses have happened has happened over time. So with, you know, with my stomach issues, like that's been kind of ongoing and like uh, really confusing because well, it's like I have celiac or I might have Crohn's. It's kind of like they actually I fall into a um, like an almost undiagnosable category there, um, which has actually been really problematic um, because I like they don't know necessarily how to treat it. Um, so it's like I took out gluten out of my diet and saw a huge improvement for time mm-hmm. based on like when I was focusing on that. But then it's like, oh wait, my ongoing problems didn't go away. Um, And so it's like, you treat that issue and then they're like, what's left? Okay, now I still don't feel well. So they treated the thyroid issue and that's pretty relatively straightforward. Although it took me about 10 years of being on thyroid medication and then being like, I don't understand why the medicine's not helping for me to actually get the autoimmune diagnosis. Um, So it is a juggle, a balancing act. Um, actually, one of the most fascinating things that happened in all of this is, so I've been treated for low iron a lot throughout my, the last 15 years um, because of my stomach issues, I wasn't absorbing nutrients. But once I was actually put on medication, like a, uh, a medication called zyfaxin, which is like really heavy duty, like Crohn's medication, um, which is like made my stomach, like the best it's ever been. And I started absorbing nutrients. We, we actually found out that I was starting to have problems with too much iron. And it turns out that I have uh hereditary hemochromatosis, which is like the predisposition to have high iron, which can like actually kill you, you know, pretty readily. And it's like, so you, it's always this like game that you're playing between these different Things. So you fix one thing and it creates another problem, Um, which is why, you know, it's kind of like an ongoing thing. It's not like I think a lot of people are like, well, why don't you just get on a medication for the things and then you'll be fine? It's like, because that's not how the body works, right? And especially when you're an athlete, you're putting a stimulus on your body that is actually changing how your body reacts to medications. You change your body composition, you change your nutrition, like all of that affects this.
0: And look, going back to the point that I made earlier, uh, you know, I have one condition. I'm currently taking 10 tablets a day. If you're, (laughs) not to put too fine a point on it, the amount of conditions that you're talking about, God knows how many tablets could be thrown at you and what those effects and, and repercussions of those could be.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting too, because you have to balance that out with the idea that like not everything that somebody can be put on for an autoimmune condition is actually legal in sport, right? So it's like, there are times in my career where I have to choose whether I'm going to take the path of health and like abstain from racing because I have to take something, you know, like I think mostly everything I've ever been put on is not, is totally fine. You know, thyroid medication, all that kind of stuff. Although we heard, we've heard about the abuse of thyroid medication, which I don't really understand because I have, you know, when you get it wrong, it makes you feel terrible. So, um, yeah. And it's thankfully the amount of medication that I have to be on a daily basis is relatively low, but you know, you can't miss a dose. You can't mess that up. You can't like, there's no, like, you don't get a day off from that, you know?
0: So, so if we rewind, um, I am going to make a, a wild guess that celiacs was perhaps the first diagnosis you got from what you were saying before. Is that right or wrong?
1: Um, yes. And it definitely should have been diagnosed when I was a kid, but yeah,
0: I know a little bit about this because, because I, I bizarrely worked in a, in a, in a special diet, uh, holiday hotel in France about 20 years ago, uh, catering for celiacs before kind of gluten-free was, was well known and was kind of prevalent in supermarkets. And it would be interesting to know when you're athletic is your athletic ability always been there because you know the 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 stories of the celiac sufferers that we had there at the hotel when they were kids you know people could be misdiagnosed and 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 thought that they had kind of cancer they were fatigued they were weary they had no energy so for you to have always been a runner to have always been athletic with that at the same time is kind of extraordinary
1: so when i was a kid i've always been very athletic um I could swim before I could walk. I I played basketball through the beginning of university. I was really recruited. But um, when I was a kid, I would suffer from these like terrible stomach aches, like couldn't get off the ground, like curled up in a ball type thing. And they put me on a diet of cheese sandwiches, which is like basically all the things that I shouldn't have been eating, right? Like I, I would, I was basically eating as a kid, you know, they're like, oh, you're having a hard time getting the right nutrition. Let's make you, you can eat pop tarts for breakfast and instant like carnation instant breakfast. And like, they're like, I don't know why it's not getting any better. Um, and so I, I think I've never really known what it's like to not be more, t- like, I don't, I don't know how other people feel. Right. So I don't, you know, my level of energy, energy is like only what I like, I have nothing to compare it to. But I do think that I, for most of my life, especially during my running career has been operating at like a much lower level, because especially this year, when I've been insulated from flare ups due to the pandemic, and those protections, it's been really interesting to be like, people like, how do you run so much all of a sudden, like, and I'm like, Oh, this is what it feels like to feel good, I guess. So that's just, um, but it did take until I was an adult to actually get my stomach problems, you know, mostly diagnosed. Um, the interesting part of that is as a female runner, um, initially when I went in, even though I had suffered these stomach problems, had lifelong diarrhea, lifelong bloating, you know, I remember being like a teenage basketball player and being like, there's a six pack under this like six month pregnant looking belly, you know? And I was like, I don't really understand what's going on. But when I became a runner and I went to gastroenterologist, they just accused me of having an eating disorder. um, Which is, I think a problem, like there are a lot of problems with being an athlete and also having these conditions is like the barrier to actually be heard. Um, Like to actually be like, no, no, no. I know you think I'm doing great because I'm, doing these things but I don't feel how I think I could possibly feel
0: what gave you the motivation as a a kid and a teenager to to push on was it because you'd never known any different or or did making playing sport and running and so on make you feel better
1: yeah I mean I I have always found energy in you know playing sports and I just loved it um It's like all I've ever known, like as a kid playing multiple sports, running around, being active. I mean, my mom, my mom has a master's in physical education and she was a swim and volleyball coach, like before title IX existed, which doesn't exist in the UK, but
0: I have no idea what it is.
1: (laughs) Title nine is like basically what, um, it was like about getting women into sports and equalizing access in this country. Um, And so like to be a swim coach, like a female coach at that time for female athletes was not really that common. So I don't really, like, I've always been active. Um, I mean, I played, when I played basketball, I'm also very self-motivated. So when I played basketball, I would work out like eight hours a day to train for myself. And like, yeah, I was like super tired and like, you know, there were times when, like I would go over an edge and just be ruined, but that usually it's like in hindsight, I realize now, like I was probably having autoimmune flares that would like, just knock me down. So I would like work out really hard and then just go off a cliff. Right. And my body would kind of like regain its energy. And then that process happened over the course of years. Um, but I mean, I, it's kind of like knowing even a glimpse of what I like a good, like, Stretch of training has felt like most recently when I feel like most of these things have been under control. I'm like, oh yeah, have not operated at 100%
0: most of my life. How did getting a diagnosis feel? I no, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to add to that. How, how did getting a diagnosis feel?
1: Um, I I would say it's relieving, but it also really made me angry because of the number of times that I had to say like over and over again, like I don't accept your answer that nothing's wrong. Like I I know myself, like nothing's not wrong. And like having my background and, you know, I'm a coach and I have a master's in exercise science, like being able to say to a doctor, like it's not overtraining. I, I can explain to you what scientifically what overtraining is and that's not what's going on. Right. And to just keep pushing, I would say it was relieving, but it's also like kind of made me like a little angry to be like, I told you, like, I told you, I'm not like, you know, they're like, oops, like oops is not a great, you know, response to get from a doctor.
0: So when, when they did begin to piece things together and they did begin to, to name specific conditions and go, okay, this is what's going on. Were they then able to give you a better prognosis and treatment plans beyond eat a cheese sandwich?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I, it, it did help to actually start getting connected with like, once my like general practitioner was like on the same page, it became like, you know, my regular doctor said there are limitations in Western medicine for the, the, the category, like for chronic illness. Right. Like we tend to treat symptomatically and don't actually try to unearth some of the root causes. So it did help to have her be like, this is what we can do to fix this short term. And then here's some people who like kind of approach this more holistically. And so then I felt like I had more of a team approach where it was like, you're believed this is true. Like what you're feeling is legitimate. And like, there is a way to kind of like live a better life, um, which, you know, it's a, like, it's a really long path, but it did help to kind of like at least feel like there was a direction we could go into that would mean i could actually like get off this treadmill of like every couple months like falling into this deep dark hole and missing races you know i i feel like like the thing that's punctuated my racing career the most is like the number of races that i've missed for being sick and it's like i don't really feel like in our sport You know, it's like you just don't show up. Right. So I I've missed comrades several times, um, which is, you know, to me, the biggest race in the world. It is the biggest ultra in the world, like to just not show up. And I, I think the perception is that people think you're just like not up for it, not fit enough, like whatever. And it's like, no, I'm like in my bed, like I can't get out of bed. And it's hard to kind of have that. Like. You know, in my mind, feeling like my career is being judged on what I haven't done as much as what I have done.
0: So here's a question: Your blog is is really um, heartfelt and it's transparent, but it's also quite recent. I mean, yeah. how long how long have you been running professionally?
1: Uh, I mean, I did my first ultra in two thousand six, right? Um, and I mean, I've mostly been sponsored in the last ten years.
0: Was your blog? the first time that you started to openly talk about, because you, you've you posted a blog entry on there called Acceptance, which I think is around about 2017. So you're talking about over a decade from starting your professional career. Was it something that you didn't want to talk about for a long time and struggled to accept?
1: I mean, I think it's like, a lot of times, it because I wasn't able to like have a true diagnosis, a lot of times it kind of feels like you know, I'm being told that what I feel is not true and like to write about, like I, I had written about like getting, how getting sick has been like my lifelong MO. I had an ex-boyfriend who called me sickly D because I would just like always be sick. (laughs) And it's, so it's like, I was aware of this fact, but like I didn't have the validation to say like, like maybe I'm doing something wrong. Like I don't, I don't know how to share what I'm going through because, I'm being told that it's just, I run too much. Right. So that aspect is really hard. I've always strived to be really transparent and, you know, share my journey. But I think until about 2017, when I really like didn't accept the, like, you're fine kind of diagnosis, like kind of like the, you know, I, I had been on thyroid medication and like, kind of like dealing with the stomach issues, but like, it it wasn't it didn't feel true enough you know like it wasn't super clear at that point because Hashimoto's was diagnosed in 2018 and like all of these things that kind of came together after that point so it's like it's hard to talk about because you don't like I just kind of thought it was like my experience with the world it's just like okay I just am sick right and I don't know what's wrong but clearly what I feel is not worthy enough of attention by my doctors and like nobody's listening to me.
0: Hmm. Did you did you ever struggle with the reaction of other athletes because to look at you you don't look sick. I mean it's 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 an interesting thing as well right you know you're you're immunosuppressed right and it's the pandemic and so everyone is being super careful but to look at you you wouldn't think that you're vulnerable. Um but actually that's not the case and and I suppose other people's reactions to you and therefore you, when you say you miss the comrades and it's like, oh, you just didn't show up, but no, you were really struggling. How how is that dynamic with other runners and with other people within the, within the supporting community?
1: I mean, I think it's hard because like, I don't think people would necessarily like say that to your face. Like, oh, I think you're faking it or whatever, but it does make you feel very alone to feel like people, because it's not, like some, and a shared experience, right? Like if I was like, oh, my, I broke my leg. Like everybody's like, let me tell you my story about my broken leg. Right. Like it, it we can all share in sh- like cr- crazy injuries that are like standard across the board, but it's really hard for people who aren't suffering from these things to understand what you mean when you say like, I'm, I am tired. And they're like, well, you don't seem tired. I saw your run. Like I had this actual experience that was like really the most poignant example of this was I was supposed to go to South Africa um, to do this uh, relay. It's like a partner race. Um, And then I was going to stay and do the two oceans. And I got really sick and my had to let my partner down and it had been, it was really important for him, like sponsorship wise, like he had a lot riding on it and when I said I couldn't go. And then I was like out, like a week later I was out running and he's like, I saw your run on Strava. Like, you don't seem sick to me. And I was like, it really like devastated me that like this person who was my friend was like accusing me of not being honest. But I was like, I don't think you understand. Like if I have like this tiny amount of energy, what I do with it in the day is I want to get my run in because it's something that makes me feel good. But I'm probably going to be on the couch for the rest of the day. Like I had to start once I kind of like dove more into the chronic illness world, like I found some ways of like describing fatigue because you say oh I'm tired to a normal person and they're like oh me too and you're like no 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 that you don't I don't think you understand what fatigue means to somebody with chronic illness is very different than a healthy person. And this scale that I found really helpful, it was like, there are days when it's like a good day is lying on the couch and being able to watch TV and like, and it goes from there to like, I can't look at my computer and watch TV at the same time. Or it's like, I can't lie on the couch and even watch TV because it's like so exhausting to do that. And it's like, there's not enough language around what chronic illness people suffer from to like help people on the outside understand. And I think that that's part of the problem is like, you know, you use the words that people, you use words that are common to other people like fatigue, but we're not talking about the same thing. And I feel like it's, I don't feel like I, you know, it's why I share, I've shared on my blog or on Instagram, some of my illness, because it's like, I have the op- the platform to say this, but on a day-to-day basis or like generally they're not, I'm not having conversations with people. Like people don't generally ask me how I'm doing. Like, they're just like, Oh, you're good. You ran hundred miles. You're good. Like, you you know, and that's really, that's really difficult because it's like, there's not necessarily like as strong of support within the community. And I think part of that it's like, when I do post things about this, like, people do come out of the woodwork to talk, to be like, Oh, thank God. It's not just me. Right. But like the community of like support hasn't necessarily been fostered within athletics. The way I think chronic illness suffers, there are these like pockets, but it's like separate from athletics.
0: Yeah. If you could go back and talk to the kid version of you on cheese sandwiches, what would you say to them? Knowing what you now know. Make a bigger tantrum.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's hard. I I think I would, I mean, I would like to be like, oh, it'll get better. But, you know, honestly, like it, it took so long for me to get to a point where it's like improved. It's, it's kind of like, I would have given myself a pep talk to like really learn how to endure. Like, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why I have, like, some of the mental traits that, like, help with ultra running is, like, no one's coming to save you, right? You're on your own. Like, to feel pain and be able to, like, keep going, I would, I think I would just be, like, listen better. And I think that's kind of universal to all our inner children is, like, just to have been listened to. Um, Because I was, I mean... (laughs) I remember being in the fifth grade and I missed more than a month of school because I was sick. And it was just like, my, my mom went to, had to go to work. She was a single mom and she was like, call me if you're dying. And like, I had 104 temperature and like had to put myself in an ice bath so I didn't die. Like I just would have like my little self, I would just be like, I'm there for you. Because that's super hard to go through as a kid and just think, well I'm obviously suffering and no one's coming to save me. Yeah.
0: Look, on a more positive note and something to finish on. Um you have you have achieved some incredible things. I mean, again, I think, first of all, go and have a look at your website, but also you're one of the early guests on For the Long Run podcast with Jonathan Leavitt talking about your running career there. So if, if someone is interested, that is another source that maybe they want to go and have a listen to and listen to a bit more of uh, your conversation with Jonathan. But what would you say your greatest achievement is in sport um, through everything that you have have managed to achieve?
1: You know, I I tend to feel like my and I think this is going to be ongoing through the end is like the idea that I set out before I knew I was a good runner my goal because I had burned out on being a basketball player and walked away from the game and never played it again my goal with running was to love running and run healthfully for as long as I could right and so you know I ran my first marathon in 2005 and 15 years later, I feel like I'm still improving and getting better and still loving the sport. And I think the, that is like from a personal level, really great. But I think also, you know, I was like reflecting on it. It was actually my coach who kind of had to like hold up a mirror for me. And he'd be like, look at your resume. Like, I think it's not just about the achievements. It's like being a positive influence in the sport. Like, I feel like You know, I have done road, I've done trail, I've done short distance, long distance, all this stuff. And I've done it while being like transparent and vulnerable. And I think trying to like be a role model and like, you know, be someone that other people can look to is like really important to me.
0: Yeah, uh, and look, there is one thing there as well that I think, if you're if you're not suffering from chronic health and you're just interested in in athletics or running, I, I remember standing at the start line of the Jungfrau a couple of years ago, assuming I'd be one of the oldest people there and obviously an amateur runner, not expecting to go very quickly. And then suddenly really realizing I was one of the youngest people, <laughs> and halfway along, people maybe twenty years my senior motoring past me. And going, oh, hey, I've got quite a long time to kind of hone this and get better.
1: Yeah. It's one of the greatest things for me, even though the sport has gotten younger, especially in the States now, but like when I started, the people that kicked my butt were older than I am now. I'm 38 and most of the women who just, just destroyed me in those first early races we're in their mid forties. Right. And so it's kind of cool for me to be like, yeah, I've been doing this for a really long time and I'm still not even at, at the end. And like, I make jokes now about to younger runners about like, I was doing this when you were in high school. And they're like, no, actually I was in middle school. But, um, (laughs) but it's, you know, it is really cool to kind of be like, I, even though I, you know, I have this perception of being so much older, I'm really, just kind of in this prime of when I get to do this, and the nice thing with it, the chronic illness stuff is like to feel like I'm actually entering a time where that stuff's the most under control. It actually makes me really excited yeah. if we ever get to race again to see what I can do.
0: We will, we will, absolutely. Look, I really appreciate you giving up some time yeah. and being so open about uh, the, the kind of the medical challenges that have been put in front of you, but also it's so inspiring to hear how you've how you've how you've met them. So um, yes enjoy your weekend. It's a Friday, it's a Friday lunchtime where you are, so enjoy your weekend and thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, thanks for having me. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Devon's experience is is, a, is an interesting one. Uh, if I think about the three episodes that we've had so far on this on this series, they have generally been incidents that have affected someone at a point in their life, and then they've had to deal with it and and kind of moving forward. I suppose I suppose Michael obviously has has always had cerebral palsy, but to a certain extent, it was only as he got a little bit older that it began to affect him more than it did when he was a child. Because I suppose when you're a kid, you you don't really notice it. And it was one particular thing that he was able to, to kind of deal with and, and still had an, an amazing running career. Whereas Devon has had multiple issues. And, you know, uh, Hashimoto's, celiacs, mono, lupus. From a really young age, without anyone really being able to give her that diagnosis that the other three guests that we've had got. Michael got a diagnosis. Holly got a diagnosis. Um. Uh, and L- LaVisa got a diagnosis, and that must be a completely different position to come at it from.
3: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I can't even imagine, right, the realization that, like, that she was talking through that. Basically, because she has been living with it for so long, she then realizes later on in her life what a disadvantage that has played for her in the game of life. Because I think the perspective that others have had is that this experience has now led me to having the disadvantages but to suddenly or well, yeah, even suddenly to gradually realize that you've been dealt cards that maybe is just pretty unfair to be honest but that you've not really experienced the other side of it I don't know what I would prefer like I, I kind of like I listen to all of the others I, I mean I wouldn't want any of it but like I don't know I don't know, <laughs> I don't know.
2: I I found it quite difficult to listen to, to be honest with you, as I I was saying to you guys earlier, Um, only because, you know, like you specified earlier, David, that everybody else has had a diagnosis. And for her, she's gone through life with, you know, with a problem. But yet she as a child and growing up as a teenager and an adult, you know, people have said, well, there's nothing really wrong with you. And she's constantly been sort of crying out for help. There is something wrong. I know there's something wrong. But yet it's never been, you know, it hadn't been identified. And they picked up little things along the way. And, you know, eventually she had like a multitude of conditions. Um, And you can hear it in her voice as she's talking. You know, she's having to balance all these difficulties and, you know, the times in her career. And she's had to decide whether she's going to take the path of health and and withhold from racing. Um, And, you know, it's – I I do feel sorry for her because it's like – um, she's trying to articulate to an audience that hasn't got the conditions she has, you know the one all the conditions that she has and is trying to explain to someone how it will feel like sometimes she's full of energy, full of beans, you know can run an ultra marathon, and then the next day she's sitting on a couch for ages uh can barely move um and then when she does have maybe a spark of energy, she'll use that to go on a run. And some people who does who won't have a condition might look at that and think, "Well, there's nothing wrong with you. What what are you doing? You you've got the energy to go for a run, um, but you can't do this or you can't do that. Why can't you commit to this? You know." And I think I think that's probably been her biggest struggle. She hasn't really spoken so much about the conditions itself. It's about how everybody else around her is judging her. I did get I did pick up a lot on that from her uh, from her interview. What what do you reckon?
3: I think right. I honestly agree with you so much, Nasty. Because I think if you want to know what it is like to try to to carry on your life, right, and still deal with this on a day to day basis, the fear, the the judgment, the the stigma, you've got to listen to her speak. I mean, this episode just really well articulated, and you said it right, Natalie. It was hard to listen to. Because it is hard, and listening to her story, probably for one of the first times, I felt like I was almost in the shoes of her as she told the story, and I was listening and I was feeling the emotions, um, and she portrayed it so well. Of, of you know, someone just trying to get by, just trying to live their life despite their despite their illnesses. I think it, she just she just articulated it so well.
0: See, to me, this this one this one resonated so close to home on a couple of different fronts first of all my wife for a number of years has had chronic health complaints so she's got trigeminal neuralgia chronic pancreatitis and fibromyalgia and fibromyalgia as far as i can work out is the medical community's um term for we don't fucking know please go away but bluntly and i have lived with her for the best part of 10 years where maybe six or seven of them she's not been particularly well um and it's difficult to understand especially because I was perfectly fine and she would have days where she said i just don't have the energy to do stuff and it's hard to kind of get your head around that and tired and fatigue don't really do it justice and then all of a sudden i've been kicked and i've had flare-ups recently and i've been laid out on the sofa going i really can't get up and she said to me i hate seeing this happen to you because now you kind of see what I was talking about, and I never wanted you to experience that, but literally to the point that for someone who I can happily run 45, 50 kilometers, and I'll just kind of lay there going, walking and getting a coffee is an effort. And we don't have the language to explain that to people. And I think that's where this this might be a difficult listen, but that's where the this is really important for people to understand that what what this might be like for people, and that fatigue and tired doesn't really do it any justice.
3: David, can I? Ask, what what do you, what language do you use when you're that tired?
0: I don't know. I've only experienced it a few times, and it's bizarre. It's it's completely alien, um, and and I, I struggle to get words together. You know, it's like everything is on slow. Kind of stuff aches a bit. I move slowly and i'm kind of going hang on a minute what, what was i going to say or what was i thinking and everything is just foggy
2: it's such a shame that you have to experience that to to understand it you know like we're, we're you know as i said at the very beginning it was a difficult listen because someone like myself who is very lucky and doesn't suffer with any chronic illnesses or conditions it's very difficult to sort of put myself in the shoes of somebody who does. You know, I can sort of, um, I can be empathetic and sensitive to what they're feeling and, you know, compassionate to what it is they've been through. But I, as someone who is healthy, who's never, you know, had so much as a, you know, broken nail, <laughs> um, it's, I'll never, I will never really truly understand how that person is go what they're going through so like for you david you're in a situation where you have actually experienced that and you can almost i don't know i'm sure your bond with your other half has probably grown because of that reason um so it's nice (laughs) well yeah so i think you know for her it's um she 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 said in her interview that she wanted to be Transparent and share her journey with others. And that was what her blog was all about. And um, Mm -hmm. I do always find it's it's Mm -hmm. easier Mm -hmm. to sometimes articulate words when it's written down um, because I've had a little read through it. And I do recommend that people, anybody listening, should definitely have a read through her blog because I think she gets some of the points across. You know, that language you were talking about, I think she identifies that really well in her blog. um, With what we've just listened to is very much – you can just hear the pain in her voice you know trying to portray her journey trying to get the audience to understand it um and it's right there where you feel like empathetic towards her because you just think this must really suck like i can't even i can't even understand what, yeah. how, how this must feel for you but the fact that she's always found energy in playing sports um and you know she always had the drive to get out there and do it that she loved it that much she was that passionate um, I think, is an inspiration in itself.
0: She mentions medicine uh, being, you know, let's treat the symptoms and there being limitations of Western medicine around chronic health. Marley, you've got to have a view on that.
3: Like, where do we start, David? Like, honestly, where do we start? I mean, I feel like every episode we just sit here being like, why are we treating the symptoms? Why are we treating the person? But it is just like, it's just, a system that is ever so slowly changing. And we're slowly, slowly getting to the value of personalization. Not just because it's, it's better for patients, but also it's probably the better, well, it is the better economic model to run a healthcare system because you can get people out of the hospital faster if you actually yeah. tell them what they need, right? What I, what I love, though, is that she isn't defined by her illness right? And Nati was talking about her website. And so like, even if even if medicine is failing her, even if there are, you know, these issues that she's encountered, on her website, she says, Devon is a runner in every sense of the word. And I love that. I love that's her like, that's her line. And I think that that type of energy, can help you when you are combating the restrictions and the barriers that are always put in front of you in western medicine because you are trying to persevere through it but we shouldn't have to persevere if you are ill you should be treated you shouldn't have to push for the treatment that you <laughs> you know you deserve it's a must be a human right if it's not a human right someone needs to write it in that we all deserve health care but like what is this? I don't know. I'm as frustrated as you, David, and Natalie, honestly. And I'm sorry on behalf of the medical community. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like it's it's contentious, isn't it? Because it is it is talking in alien language, perhaps. Um, and undiagnosed chronic health is, is not easy for anyone. And, you know, Devon had a partner who just didn't understand
2: yeah I have no words. <laughs> They're, like you said, trying to find the language is probably the hardest thing um about this about this interview and her situation um I do I just feel for her and i but she's an inspiration in itself that it is possible to keep going. There are people out there with you know similar conditions and People just have to show support. And I think just with her blog and, you know, her doing this interview and her doing what she does every day will inspire other people to know that, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, you can keep going. It, you know, us as human beings, the body is an incredible machine, whether it's broken or not, it will keep going if your mind pushes it to.
0: Well look, thanks for listening. Uh Natalie Marler, thanks for joining me. Um super interesting to have your thoughts. On the next episode, we're gonna be talking to a young golfer called Danielle.
2: Hello. down.